Hey everybody and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast. I am your host Stephen Buja and joining me as always is the one, the only, the incredible Matthew Marchetti. <laughs> hey Matt, how's it going? I'm doing just fine, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing uh very well. I got my uh I got my ba- I got my bottle of uh Boulet rye whiskey yep. here. Is it Boulet Bullet? Right Whatever. Now. Yeah, and it's uh it's it's quite tasty. Uh it is uh I feel you know, it's a li- it's a little bit of prop comedy for today's episode, which is 1945's The Lost Weekend, which is a tale about drinking and how it's bad. And <laughs> well, I figured, well, it's, drinking's bad, but I'm still gonna have some because it, the movie was making me thirsty. <laughs> I think we're like method method podcasters, so we're drinking to experience the movie. Yeah, we're, we need we, we need to get inside the head of Don Boynum. <laughs> uh to 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 fully under to fully re- understand what he uh what he is going through mm. um but actually before we get right into this uh so it's a very sobering film today but i want to talk about i want to switch gears i want to go over to something that is the complete opposite end of sobering and that is fate of the furious oh yes uh my wife and i do not get out to the movies much but this weekend we got out to the theater and we saw the eighth installment of the fast and furious <laughs> franchise and um in terms of in terms of occasional movies i have to say it was amazing for the yeah. <laughs> the, the last 40 minutes i just kind of wanted to stand up and salute just every, just everything that was happening on screen <laughs> oh man it yep. was oh oh I don't know where it falls in my rankings. I need to see it again over and over and over. But uh, I, you know, I I I, re- I really dug it, and I can't. I hope they either scale it way back in number nine and do like a Logan type story, or they just kick it into overdrive and they send them to space. I'm just pushing up over and over and over. Again. So I just want up. There's a button. There must be a button somewhere. It just says up, 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 more, just, more, just more, more, more. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you liked it. I'm really glad you liked it. I, Steph and I enjoyed it very, very much. Actually, it's the same. It's uh, you know we watch a lot of, I shall we say, good or important cinema or cinema. We watch films on this on this show, and it is really great to just watch a movie. <laughs> to, 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 I mean, the movie the movie begin the movie begins with. Vin Diesel driving a flaming car backwards. And that's yet... the most subtle part. Of it. <laughs> and that's not the most ridiculous thing. That yeah, not even close. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> uh, God, God love that franchise. I, uh, I, I adore it. But okay. Going back. All right. Game face on. Oh, I'm going to take a drink. Mm. The Lost Weekend, uh, directed by Billy Wilder. What is your familiarity with the movie? Had you seen it before? I had I had I had seen it once before, much uh, much like my backstory with um, on the waterfront. The same uncle I talked about then, who introduced me to on the waterfront, actually saw the last weekend. I think on like AMC or Turner Classic Movies, and he recorded it on V 
VHS tape. Ooh. Yeah, I know. And he actually brought it to me for uh, for me to view for the first time. And that was many years ago. So yeah. The glory days, the all or nothing days, the VHS recording onto them. Yeah, he actually tried his really best to cut all the commercials out. So it was like, oh, it was wow. as close to watching the movie as I could have gotten in that format. So uh, God bless him, I guess. He really he really yeah. tried. He's, he's a movie nut, so I was not surprised when he... When he did it that way. Okay. You were how old then? Oh, geez. That was probably 10 or 12 years ago. Okay. So you were drinking at that point? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like abstained for a very long time. And then it just kind of all of a sudden, I uh, like like watching Titanic finally. I was like, <laughs> you know what? Sure. Why not? Um, I, I definitely wasn't drinking. At, I don't think I was drinking at the time of, the, of seeing the movie the first time. Okay. I don't think I was. Do you remember some of your thoughts and feelings about it back then? I, I, do, I do. I do for sure. Yeah. I mean, I just distinctly remember um, being very shocked um, thinking about the time period and what the movie was all about. Um, I always really liked uh, the uh, hallucinatory sequences towards the end of the film because they're the most like a horror movie. So I always gravitated towards <laughs> yeah. that. And I absolutely was obsessed with uh, the Gloria character played by Doris Dowling and her slang talk. I just was like completely in love with her at the time. Yeah, I just, she was the coolest thing. So those, uh, those are the big things yeah. I remember. I, I, I will say that is uh, your obsession with her. That is Riddick. It's Riddick. It is Riddick. Riddick. Not Riddick. Different. Not no. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're done, We're, We're done with Vin Diesel. We're never done with Vin Diesel. For the next ten, for the next ten minutes, for the next ten minutes. Okay. 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 Fair enough. I myself, I have uh, never seen The Lost Weekend. I am sad to say, for somebody who went to film school, the same film school that Matt Marchetti went to, I haven't seen that much Billy Billy Wilder. Uh, I just, I there, I want to say there's a good reason for it. I think it just comes down to. There's so much other stuff out there. Like, I want to be, you know, up on the current films, and there's always a new movie coming out. So you lose time to watch the things that came before, and it's really uh, disheartening because there's a lot of great stuff out there. And uh, I think, from a selfish perspective, that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to have a legitimate. Legitimate. I'm I'm air quoting that excuse to to watch to uh to watch films that came out before Star Wars. Essentially, I think that's really the cutoff for me for whatever reason. And it's been um, I uh, you see the influence of so many future directors this way, like Billy Wilder. He's one of the one of the legends. It highly influenced Steven Spielberg. He influenced the guy who made the artist. I think he just thanked Billy Wilder the entire time during his speech. It's uh, uh, and they're just one of those, you know, in the names of the great directors. For some reason, he never gets brought up, and yet he has uh, one of the greatest careers in Hollywood of ever. Is, it's uh, it's insane. I actually wrote down notable films from Billy Wilder and at the end in bold font I wrote damn with an exclamation point <laughs> because it's it just reads like a greatest hits list on a band's album, like a greatest hits album. It's 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 crazy some of these movies he made. Oh, uh, like what? Uh, so I mean, 
the big one for me was was the film he made the previous year, Double Indemnity. I, I I'm like obsessed with that film. I, I love it to death. It's so good. It's such a great film noir that does all the things film noir does really well, but puts a nice little twist on them in a lot of different ways. I love Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Sabrina. I love some of his comedies. Some like it hot and Sabrina is gr- are great. Seven Year Itch is great. The Apartment is fantastic. Uh, the Apartment's. Uh... We did a, like, we did a whole episode on it, but yeah, I like the apartment. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I like Style Like Seventeen and his kind of World War Two film. I thought was great, and I love. I might have mentioned this at some point. When, I don't know if I did, but he has a movie from 1951 called Ace in the Hole with Kirk Douglas. That's about a manipulative uh, newspaper man who finds this guy in the mines uh, stuck in a hole, basically, and he. Uh, he kind of chooses to let him stay there and kind of <laughs> milk it for all its journalistic uh, hoopla, and it just gets absolutely insane. Wow. Uh, Ace in the Hole, 1951. 1951. It's a wide range of films he has there. He does Billy Wilder does comedy. He does yep. he does World War Two. He does uh, drama. He does. Um, pseudo psychological horror film which is yeah. what you could you could easily classify the lost weekend into that especially towards the end it's a movie about obsession and addiction and how yeah. it rots you when we come back from this break we are going to discuss uh the 1945 academy awards where the lost weekend picked up best picture among a couple of other things stay tuned i want to present you this award for the best actor of 1945, Raymond Lost Weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm greatly honored. The Lost Weekend picked up four Academy Awards at the 1945 Oscar ceremony. Best picture. What else did it take home? Well, I might know that. <gasps> really? <laughs> did you take notes on this as well? Maybe. <laughs> are, we, are you looking at the Wikipedia page? Uh, no, I'm actually looking oh, at okay. the. Uh, well, I'm looking at the IMDb page and the notes I wrote up. I just, I just have to. You have to just trust me that I wrote. I did write notes. Right. Uh, this is how the sausage is made, people. Is, Real talk. Is. All right. It's behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of meanings. I, I like that. This is how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the sausage, besides the aforementioned best picture win, it picked up uh, best leading actor for Ray Milland, who I'm sure we'll talk about at great length. Uh, great best length. director. Billy Wilder, who we already spoke about and probably continue yes. to speak about, uh, it was and the uh, it, it was the first of two um, director Oscars for Billy Wilder. He would also win for the Apartment, but overall he would collect six for his career as both uh, writer, to which he was, uh, I believe, he is the second most nominated writer in all of Hollywood. He was uh, surpassed by wow. Woody Allen in nineteen ninety four. Wow, something. As well as producer of his films, which gets you a Best Picture uh, Academy mm-hmm. Award. So, the man's got some. Uh, the man's got some gold. Well, he knew what he was doing. He was a good businessman too. Obviously, if he's writing, producing, and directing, um, he knows what he's doing. And I, I've heard many times and many different anecdotes that he was not a pleasant man to work with all the time. If you were a, if you were a co-writer with him, I think oh. actors really liked him, but I think a lot of writers did not get along with him. Yeah, um, I can see that. He's, he's, yeah, he was a he was a control freak, but a lot of the best directors are. So, 
And you had mentioned you had mentioned writing Steve, so the the other uh, the other Academy Award winners for, for best writing screenplay that he co-wrote with Charles Brackett. Yeah. I think he also wrote Sunset Boulevard with. So I guess they got along. Honestly, Sunset Boulevard is one of the one of the greatest movies about Hollywood. About Hollywood, yeah. I fantastic. think I've ever seen. It is. Yeah. Um, and that definitely holds phenomenal. Up, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw I saw that recently, and it was just oh, man, that is something else entirely. Um, in addition to the four it won, it also was nominated for an additional three for a total of seven nominations. It uh, was nominated for Best Dramatic Comedy Score by Miklos Rosa? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, he, he did the music for this, uh, he, but he also composed the music for this year's eventual winner, Spellbound, which was the uh, Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was and it was a year of a lot of nominees. They just whatever if you had a movie with music in it, you were basically nominated this year. I think <laughs> ten or twelve on there. But um, it, this film, uh, Rosa, Rosa, he introduced the uh, theremin, yeah. which is that uh, <laughs> that yeah. that into 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 usage and. <laughs> The uh, he also did that in I believe I think it was also Spellbound as well, mm-hmm. and the producer of Spellbound threatened to sue for using that instrument in there, and then somebody told him you can't you can't file a lawsuit against over against an instrument you, it's, <laughs> you can't you can't do it. and so he, he, he can I can I can I throw out a guess that that was David O Selznick who did that I think like yeah I think it, it, that sounds like something that Selznick would do. <laughs> yeah. uh, that sounds like a Selznick move. <laughs> Uh, it was also nominated for Best Cinematography, Black and White. Um, well, that's a great nomination right there. As mm-hmm. well as Best Editing, which I am actually very shocked it did not pick up. Um, this movie is edited. Oh, there's not a... I do not think there's a wasted second in this movie, but we will talk about that later. Um, Ray Milland, uh, who was known for more of his movie matinee... Yeah, that's you. That's, that's me. That's, that's, that's you. That's you <laughs> for his, his movie matinee, good looks and talent. Um, was uh, he's a very odd choice for this uh, for this role. It worked out though because this was his one and only uh, Oscar win. He joins the roughly seventy other gentlemen who have won Best Actor, and that is fine company to be a part of. Uh, mm. Very, very. Well, you know, anytime anybody wins, isn't that isn't that just nice? It is nice. Um, but that year, 1945, what was some of the competition that The Lost Weekend had to get through in order to claim the prize? Some, some pretty big ones. Uh, well, let's, let's say this. Two, two heavy hitters, for, in my opinion, and then um, a movie I don't really care for and a movie I'm kind of ambivalent about. So the two <laughs> movies I really like that were also nominated for Best Picture are Spellbound and Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce is just a fantastic film noir uh, that I, if you haven't noticed, is something I really am always gravitating towards, film noir I, films. I have noticed. I have never, I haven't seen Spellbound. I, you know what? I haven't seen any of the four other nominees. I'm just throwing it out there. Bad host. No, no. <laughs> just just drink your rye. It'll be okay. okay. I, uh, and it'll, then uh, the, other two, the other two uh, nominees were the, were the, uh, Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly, musical Anchors Away, which I absolutely cannot stand. <laughs> no, now, I'm admittedly not the biggest fan of, of musicals, but I absolutely hate this movie. It's like, it feels like it's four hours long, and I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't, I just can't. I can't even, actually. Oh. 
Oh, yeah. oh wow. That's how, that's that, how that's, much I dislike it. He does not <laughs> like that movie. That's uh, it's what they're they're sailors essentially in, in yes. the navy. Is it basically the scene from Hail Caesar? Sure. Yes, it is actually. It's very very much like that in a lot of ways. Uh, but for two oh two hours and twenty three minutes. Oh. Yeah, and just glorious. That's, Jesus. Yep. yep. I'm into it, except I'm not. Why? Uh, and then the other film was a, a movie I I like but don't love, uh, The Bells of St. Mary's, which is kind of like the movie Doubt with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep, except oh. that it's not super. It's not. It's nowhere near as serious. And it's actually. <laughs> it, <laughs> but it's the similar idea that a. Uh, like a priest and a sister at a, a Catholic school have this kind of, um, it's a rivalry in a way, but it's very friendly. Um, oh. so it's playful in all ways. It's got Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman. So it's great casting. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I, I think it's kind of light for, okay. yeah. So, uh, aren't they trying to save a school or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cl- classic, classic drama right there. Yeah. I have to save the school. I have to save the school. Yeah. Mm. Um. Oh, that's fine. Ooh. Spellbound, Mildred Pierce. I uh, have heard Spellbound. That's the uh, it stars Gregory Peck, psychological thriller. He's like he's like an imposter head of some insane asylum, something like that. Yeah, there's 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 a, a, a patient with amnesia and trying to be protected because uh, they're accused of a murder, but they're also attempting to. You know, recover the memories, and it's very, it's very trippy. There's some, um, I think, some uh, Salvador Dali um, animated sequences in there that are pretty notable, and some really, 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 really bad skiing scenes using terrible rear projection, like, <laughs> that, like, like laughable rear projection. It's one of the only things I really dislike about the movie. But the Salvador, I'm looking at a picture of one right now. I'm pointing to it, but no one can see me do that but you. Um, and it's just a bunch of floating eyeballs in this. It's, it's horrifying looking. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting psychological film. I think it's kind of unique in that respect from Hitchcock. All his movies are very psychological, but this one actually deals like exclusively with a psychologist. Uh, and I think that that's really, I mean, it's it's easy bait for him to work with, um, but there's something kind of strange about it that sets it apart from other films in his filmography. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I'm adding that to the long list of Hitchcock films I need to check out. By the way, side note, have you heard the podcast Inside Psycho? No, I don't think so, no. No, it's this fantastic little podcast I just started listening to on recommendation from Mr. Matthew Kroll of the only podcast about movies. Uh, It's essentially a, I don't want to say a dramatization, but an audiographic novel, as it were, of some of the, the... the making of of uh 1960s or 61 psycho uh, mm. and uh, and all the the hopes and dreams and risks associated uh, that Hitch- Hitchcock took on to uh, to make yeah. real uh well produced so much more well produced than this show it just <laughs> sounds uh, pristine and just great they have uh, the uh, uh you, you you would like you would like the uh, the uh, the trailer for it as it were it's a 6 minute uh, retelling of an incident in Ed Gein's life. Oh, well, the, uh, uh, you've already piqued my interest a, a ton, so I will be checking that out. Yeah, there you go. I, I believe all six or seven episodes are currently out. But, beautiful. Anyways, um, before we get to the year in pictures or look back at the films of 1945, uh, The Lost Weekend is notable 
as being one of only two movies in history to win both the Academy Award for Best Picture and the highest honor at the Cannes Film Festival. It uh, At the time, it was like some weird Grand Prix, something or other. Um, it, it was later changed to the, um, the Palme d'Or. And the only other film, surprisingly, 1955's Marty. But in hindsight, I suppose it... it Kind of makes sense. Very different sensibilities mm-hmm. amongst the, amongst those uh, th- those voting public right there. Mm. Yep. So, and now we move on to 1945, the year in pictures. Matt Marchetti, any good movies come out that year that were not nominated for best picture? Yeah. So I mean, there's a. I, I mean, you already talked about Mildred Pierce and Spellbound. Those are those are big for me. Um, there's a movie called directed by Ed- Edgar Ulmer um, called Detour. Um, that's about a hitchhiker, and it's it's a film noir piece. Edward Ulmer was really a big film noir and horror film director. It was a, it's a really fantastic movie. It's kind of lesser seen, I would say, um, but I would definitely recommend it. And there's a couple great um, foreign films, too. Uh, Rome, Open City is a great uh, Roberto Rossellini film um, that's about the Nazi occupation in 1944. Uh, I remember seeing that in film class. I think I only saw most of these. I've only seen once in a, in a long time ago, uh, but they stuck with me for one reason or another. Um, and I think there was two more I was looking at. Where's my notes here? Yeah, Brief Encounter and Children of Paradise. Okay. Um, yeah, Brief, Brief Encounter, the David Lean movie. This yep. was the, this was the last. I think it was the last David Lean movie before he went into awards. Uh, mode and mm. became the David Lean that mm-hmm. we know from Bridge, the, Bridge of the River Kwai, Dr. Zhivago, Lawrence of Arabia, the you know the yeah. epic Hollywood maestro. This was a, a much smaller, much smaller film. And what was the other one? Children of Paradise. Yeah, Children of Paradise, which is a which is a uh, a French film. It's three hours or so. It's very long, and it basically tells like the entire life of um, this woman and these kind of four men or so who are kind of obsessed with her. Um, it's very much, it's very, very, very French in very, <laughs> very many ways. Um, I, again, I only saw it once. I remember it being very, very long, but also really, really, really impressive in that sense too. So okay. it feels every minute of its three hours and nine minutes or so I think I'm looking at, but, um, I, it, 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 it was a pretty striking film when I saw it. And this was again, um, geez, 15 years ago or so. So that's, that's impressive. I would say. Okay. And uh, additionally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out there. You had some hilarious uh, horror films: The Body Snatcher, House of Dracula, oh. Isle of the Dead, and randomly not a horror film: Abbott and Costello in Hollywood. Yeah, that's that's good. Strange I, year coming out. We're coming out of World War II. Everything goes, I suppose. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I would say that's that's the truth. <laughs> we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are finally going to dive into Billy Wilder's. The Lost Weekend. We're going to begin with the film that went on to capture the big prize in that Best Picture contest, also earning its leading man the Academy Award for Best Actor. It was also a particular grabber because it, it broached a subject that had never primarily been the subject of a movie before, and that's alcoholism. The movie is The Lost Weekend, which earned Ray Milland the Academy Award as Best Actor and brought the great Billy Wilder, the first of two Oscars of his career, the best as best director and for best screenplay, which he shared with Charles Brackett. The film is based on a best-selling novel by Charles Jackson about a writer doing all he can 
be it to beg, borrow, or steal in order to get a drink. Powerful stuff, especially for 1945. And after the film was made, it was initially shelved because test screenings of the movie were disastrous. People at that time weren't accustomed to seeing anything so realistically drawn. They went to the movies to be entertained. So at previews of the movie, most audiences gave it a thumbs down. In fact, the reactions were so negative, Paramount Studios seriously toyed with the idea of never releasing it, just writing it off. What saved the movie was the so-called Bel Air movie circuit, which is what they always called the private home projection rooms of the Hollywood bigwigs. From those home screening rooms, positive word of mouth began filtering out. Eventually, the raves and the buzz convinced Paramount to at least give the movie a few test showings in theaters all around the country. And from there, it became not just a blockbuster, but the picture of the year. So have a look. Here from 1945, also starring Jane Wyman, the Academy Award-winning film of 1945, The Lost Weekend. Matt, for those in our audience who have not seen The Lost Weekend, what is it about? Give us a plot description. So, I mean, really, uh, basically, I mean, even like the IMDb synopsis is really straightforward. And um, I think it kind of maybe un undersells it a little bit, but it's basically the short few days, really four main days in the life of a um, really kind of chronic, nutty alcoholic and the stuff he goes through. And there's there's a lot more going on in terms of, um, you know, flashbacks in his life and things like that. But it's really like his struggles and his kind of... Um, his, his lost weekend, so to speak, that he's trying to um, figure out what the hell he's going to do with his life. I don't know if that's... That's, that's, that's mine. That's yeah. my synopsis. That about, that, about, that about covers it. It's uh, a, a kind of a, almost a series of vignettes mm. of what... of the day in the life of a struggling alcoholic is. Um, and it is... As horrifying now as I think it as it certainly was back in 1945. Think about it. It's 1945. You're coming back from World War II. You are high on victory, but your your veterans are not doing so hot, and they are turning to alcohol to cope with it because we don't have words or a system in place to really deal with the you know with post traumatic stress. It's probably still called shell shock at that time. And so now we have this this movie here that is deal. It's a uh, it's both universal in its in its dealings because alcoholism is something that affects every every society throughout all all ages, but also very very specific to nineteen forty five and the return of uh, our our GIs from World War Two. Um, and so you would you would think they want something happy to to win Best Picture that year, but nope, it is. It is the lost, lost weekend all the way. Um, so the film follows Don Boynum. That's Don Burnham. But Boynum. Since, since we are in Manhattan, it's Boynum, Mister Boynum, sir, uh, who is a played by Ray Milland, who is a charming as hell um, writer. And I found myself really relating to that part of him. Uh, the the writer part, I suppose all of us kind of fancy ourselves writers in some way or another, but the ability to finish uh, certainly has eluded me. So um, the his his uh, struggles with writer's block, which mm. sort of propel this whole thing. He he 
weasels his way out of a week out of a weekend with his brother to ostensibly stay home and write his book that he's been talking about for a long time and of course that goes that that just gets blown to the wind almost immediately <laughs> so I, so uh, matt uh the question is uh what is your experience with writer's block and does this movie capture it capture the um the struggle against it mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i well to your second question i would say i think it it does uh, to a degree, uh, particularly there's a couple scenes, I believe they're flashback scenes, but they're later in the film when um, he is talking to Helen, his, his girlfriend, who's kind of along for the ride as, as much as she can be about um, his, his struggles and his inability to write. Um, and I feel like, you know, removing the alcoholism from the situation, I feel like that's something you can really... Um, connect to in a universal sense like you said we're all writers in some way but we, we we've all dealt with a block like a mental block about something and i think in those moments he you get it you kind of understand what he's struggling with he, you know he he set out to be this thing but every time he went to do it it just never worked out and we've all we've all had we have these grand goals in life and then we don't go through with them or they fall apart and we, we always, you know, maybe we look back on them and feel bad about it. Maybe we don't make um, anything out of it and it, they just kind of flounder around. And I feel like that's a really tragic way to live. I mean, it reminds me, this is it would be years later, 1961 or so, but um, Ernest Hemingway, the, the great writer, when he um, committed suicide, he did kill himself. I, I think part of the reason he did it was because he couldn't write anymore. And that was his purpose in the world was to write and and to do that. And once he kind of wasn't serving that purpose anymore, he thought, I'm not really um, I don't need to be here anymore. And this that connects to this film in in many ways. So that's a long winded answer to your question. But no, I think it's I think it's an absolutely great answer to that question. I have um, I have been Don before, Mm. not again, not necessarily with the drinking, although I have. Mm. You know, found myself like, oh, uh, I got all this time. Let me let me, <laughs> let me bust open this six pack or this bottle of boule rye whiskey. Mm. They're not the paying, only, they're the not only whiskey for writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> Frontier whiskey. <laughs> Am easily distracted. You know, when it comes time to write, that is when oh, I can clean the house, I can make the bed, I can do all these little other things that need doing, and because. You know, it is far, far easier to say I am a writer than it is to write. It's far, it's far easier to say anything than it is to actually go out and do it. And it's, uh, in some level, almost as satisfying to say that than uh, as it is to accomplish it. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it kind of leaves you hollow and bitter. And Don has been dealing with this for. 10 plus years he even you know he was described as like a potential Hemingway replacement on, in some reviews back in his college days when he was more focused and mm-hmm. he has all this pressure and this um this belief in him that he just can't really uh, he can't uh, you know climb climb over he can't get past it and it it's it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking to see him it's it's heartbreaking to see someone um, lots of films have the inciting incident where it's an external force that comes and 
you know, creates the problem. And in a way, it is alcohol is creating this problem for for Don. But then that's the thing about alcoholism is that it's also Don succumbing to it all the time. And this is this is nineteen forty this is nineteen forty five view of view of things. It's, I don't think it's a disease at that point. It's just you're you have no willpower and you need to work on your shit. You lazy you lazy alky. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could you, but alcohol or alcoholism or not you could you, you can relate to getting you know getting in your own way i think and that's um fodder for great drama mm-hmm. and it doesn't always work out but when it does work out you can get something like the lost weekend um so there's um a couple of notable scenes in the movie and the the one i the one i think we definitely want to just get to right out of the way is the uh, drunk ward Towards oh, yeah. towards the end, the Bellevue Drunk Ward is the first yeah. time that Bellevue Hospital in New York City allowed filming in it, and it is by 1945 standards and certainly by 2017 standards a horrifying, just absolutely horrifying. Uh, into in, um, just what what makes it what makes it so effective? Do you think? Oh, I mean, he just. The, the the way he just kind of ends up there um is just it's just it's just scary i mean you know any any one of us could could drink too much and we're in a public place and all of a sudden we're in a drunk tank somewhere um and i feel like he just ends up there um the um the i don't know what to call him the orderly or the nurse there bim, bim. he's just so cynical and it kind of like mean spirited to him but his point of view is so fascinating because he's he's seen so much of this that it's so hard for him not to be cynical and kind of mean-spirited in a way i think he just kind of enjoys it it's kind of like his entertainment to a degree mm-hmm. but then he talks about when the night comes and how bad it's going to yeah. get the dt and, and we see that and it's i mean i remember thinking like oh, i probably know what this is going to be like and then that that guy starts screaming in the middle of the night and it is horrifying I mean, it is really a horrifying sequence i mean it, it just oh i mean it really sticks with you yeah and it's um a great uh technical sequence as well wilder has got lighting and he's got the sound down the sound is what i remember the man screaming and you have rosa's score that just mm. that off that just wail of the of the, of the theremin just working mm. all to just Physically, just like physically assault your your eyes and ears. It's uh, it's really it's really striking. And then um, there's a, there's a follow up scene when Don has escaped uh, Bellevue Hospital because he's clever and the plot needs it. <laughs> and then he actually faces his own night terrors. And there's this hilariously prosthetic bat that's flying around. But there's this shot of a rat eating. The wall that sticks with me. It's yeah. so, it's just so terrifying because it's just this blank wall and then there's just this little rat and you can kind of hear it chirping. And it's, mm-hmm. oh, it is so, oh, it's so effective. And it's a great, effective use of sound and image, which Wilder is uh, tre- tremendous at. And there's a reason he influences so many folks. I just, I did not expect this movie to be as terrifying. Uh, mm. As as it was when you first saw it years ago, you're like, alcoholism in the '40s. What was that like? <laughs> Get over it, you babies. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I think at the at the beginning of the film, I felt like I, I kind of figured where it was going to go, and then it just increasingly gets darker, and I think that um, the hangover plaza scene is kind of like the, the, the pinnacle of that. And then you get the hallucinatory sequence right after the scene you were talking about with the rat and the bat. That's really strong. I mean, I, I always... Uh, I always make sure to kind of put myself, I think even then, put myself in the headspace of someone viewing it at the time and viewing it in 1945. And even just the, the small detail that there was, that the bat bites the rat on the, the wall and a little blood comes down. I mean, anytime I see anything that, you know, there's not gory necessarily, but when you see stuff like that, it always shocks me because if that was a straight horror film, no blood at all would have been allowed. But because it was a serious film about alcoholism, it's okay to have these dark images. Um, maybe I am really cynical. Maybe I just am really cynical. Ah, you've uh, you, you've had years of experience. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But before before we jump to the character of Dom, I wanted to bring up uh, Bim actually because I found Bim fascinating. I found him more fascinating when I checked out the or at least read a brief synopsis of the book The Lost Weekend was based on, mm. called The Lost Weekend, in that there is. Um, there's a excised subplot or rather character beat in there about how Don is wrestling with uh, ho- his homosexuality. And he had a homosexual encounter, I, I think, a couple of years before, and that's been sort of plaguing him ever since. And I, I just maybe it's the way the actor played Bim, the sort of like highfalutin kind mm-hmm. of um, cynical New, New York effeminate douchebag. But I, 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 this character, I felt, I think he was making the eyes at, at Don because, yeah. because Ray, Ray Milan, he's a, he's a handsome man. And I think, yeah. I think this was, um, Billy Wilder's way of slipping that through the censors of, of, of the yeah. time to yeah. make some sort of statement and just, I mean, Ray, Ray doesn't really doesn't fall for any of it, but I could, I, there was, there was some, there was something there, and it, it could just be that the the actor playing Bim was, uh, they he had a few lines and he, those, no small parts, and he just he just made it work. But I mm-hmm. have to think that Wilder must have been aware of, of what he was doing because he was uh, very gifted behind the camera and had everything everything in place. But yeah, uh, no, I would I would agree 110 percent on both regards too, and I would point to, um, Don's kind of rebuffing of both Helen and Gloria's advances multiple times. I mean, you got Jane Wyman oh. and both, both gorgeous-looking women that he kind of just, he has around, you know, he's got them wrapped around his thumb, and he just kind of lets them waffle around. He just leaves them alone. And even when he's absolutely cruel to Gloria, she still pines for him. Um, oh. And maybe it's not so much him being just, he's just being an obsessed alcoholic asshole. Maybe it's because he's really not that interested in... <laughs> in women and maybe that's a little a subtle nod right there too oh yeah i hadn't even considered that and mm. thank you for for bringing that up all right mm. don burnham ray milan i think this is an incredible performance from him and i'm saying this having not seen any of his any literally any of his previous work didn't know his name whatnot um what do you think it is about don Ray's performance that so resonated with folks both then and I think think now what is what is, what did he do right or 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 not right? 
I think he he seemed and maybe and this could be him or this could be Wilder or a combination of the two, but I think he he was very aware of the fact that he, he couldn't play this in, in a small way. It had to be a big performance and it had to be really, really, really vulnerable. He had to be very vulnerable in the role. And and sometimes that means opening yourself up to things like overacting and, and, and you know gesticulations and things like that. But I feel like this is the time to do that because we've all seen, I mean, most of us have all seen an incredibly drunk person. Um, <laughs> they're, they're not subtle. Um, they're the only person in the room when they're talking. I've been that person. <laughs> been that person. I usually am that person. Test that. Um, so you're not doing anything really small when you're like that. And, and then even more so suffering from, you know, this extreme writer's block, depression, suicidal tendencies, and then actual chronic alcoholism. You're not going to be a subtle human being. Like you're going to have kind of broad strokes moves. And I feel like he needed to, he needed to do that. He needed to open himself up a little bit. And I, I have seen several movies with Ray Milland and, and he was a great kind of genre actor. But this is probably the, the pinnacle of what he was able to do. And I think he was able, he was allowed to do. I think he, he was kind of in a lot of um, kind of like Hitchcockian, or not Hitchcockian, I shouldn't say Hitchcockian, I should say. A lot of the Edgar Allan Poe knockoffs in the 60s, he was into those uh, in, in mm-hmm. kind of his later years. He's in a great movie called, I'm going to have to look it up. It's like, uh, I'll come back to it. Oh, there it is. X the man, X the man with the X-ray eyes, where he's a scientist. <laughs> yeah, you you laugh, but let me explain what this movie's about, and let me horrify you. He he's a doctor who uses special eye drops. He gives himself X-ray vision, but the problem is he gives himself more and more every single time, to the point where he can see through everything. And at the end of the movie. Well, I don't want to spoil it so much, but at the end of the movie, it has really, really bad consequences. Like he, it, there's a potential that he sees like beyond what the, the human beings can see. It's very like love, like Lovecraftian in its execution in a lot of ways. And when I say it's directed by Roger Corman, I want to say that with a grain of salt because a lot of what Roger Corman made was crap. But this is a fantastic movie, and I would argue, I would argue strongly that X, the man with the X-ray eyes from 1963, by the way, is probably his second best performance. And on a really drunk evening, I would probably argue that it's a better performance than the Lost. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so, talented guy. So, when you need someone to play someone who is addicted or gets addicted to something, Ray Milland. Ray Milland. Yeah. Um. Yes, this is not a role for subtlety. Um, and plus, also, it's important to note that before, really before this movie, drunks were kind of the, they were comedic relief. They were side characters. There was, there were not, there were not too many, and there's certainly not many serious portrayals of drunks like this before and so this was the first this is the first time people get to experience what it is actually like the uh the all the lows and there are so many lows but all the highs because you know the you know the thing i liked about it was that wilder balances wilder and malane balances the 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 sadness of Mm. of dawn with this effortless charm and i i kept find, i kept asking myself why are these women throwing themselves at him 
but then he just he just he just turns it on and you go oh well, that's why the man can quote he quotes Shakespeare at a yeah, bar. He wha- he he can wax poetic. He's he's quick on his feet. He's intelligent. He's he's very handsome. He's got everything except this huge major character flaw. And I think that's a great way of showing to the audience that these are still people. This is Don Burn. He's Don Burnham first. Then he's an alcoholic. He's not alcoholic first. Then he's Don Bur- Burnham. That's a, it's a doesn't sound like there's a, a big distinction there, but it's a huge distinction as to how you approach the character. Do you approach him as a person first? Do you approach him as an alcoholic first? Milan and Wilder clearly approach him as a person first, um, with all these all these you know contradictions and feelings, and it really uh, it really works out. And yes, he does overact. He overacts to the point where the test audience for this movie, one of the test audiences, <laughs> um, just thought it, this was ridiculous and this this guy is absurd and he's terrible and one of them said i'm never going to see another movie again and that's when wilder was like i think we need to add some music to this to sort of guide the audience along and that's where we got the score and it really helps because i i didn't feel like this was ridiculous at all i thought this was uh at times harrowing uh, alcoholism has touched you know not me directly directly but uh you know uh, some loved ones around me and it's um it can be it can get it can get bad and uh and tragic and mm-hmm. and, and very and very tragic and mm-hmm. i think milan walks that line between just ridiculous melodrama comedy and tragedy he just he just he threads it he threads it so well that this uh this academy award if it is to be his only one then Yes, if you were to get to, uh, then I guess obviously X, the man with X-ray eyes, should <laughs> I guess should be number two because that sounds amazing. I want to find that movie. He was also right in now. Dial M for Murder. He was in, he was in Dial M for Murder with, with with one of the Hitchcock films too. So that was, <laughs> okay. that was probably one of his other really really big roles. But oh, okay. Should, everyone okay. should see X, the man with the X-ray eyes. I, I kid you not. My my wife is back here saying I loved that movie, and that's a big deal for her to like a movie from 1963 that's <laughs> yeah. science fiction-y. She really liked it. I mean, it's yeah. really good. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but speaking of your wife and and and, and movies, you know what? I, I was watching this movie, and and this, this leads up to the end of it. But you know what I thought would be a great pairing with this film? Mm. Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, I actually wrote that somewhere on me. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. With uh, with so, uh, yep. Ray, if Ray, see Ray Milland can win an Oscar for playing a drunk, mm. and so can Nicolas Cage. There it is. <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> she made an angry sigh. She's like seething. Like there's like black fire coming off of her. What he he won an Oscar. What is she mad about? Like it happened. It's. it's... She knows. She knows what we're really talking about underneath <laughs> this all. <laughs> I actually um I. Think that's a great movie, Leaving Las it Vegas. It's a it's a very good movie. Depressing. And, oh, so it's so it's so depressing. Which leads me to the end. Um, spoiler: at the end of this film has Don almost committing suicide, which um, again is still just, oh my god, it's 1945. But he gets talked he gets talked out of it by both Helen and the bartender who manages to get his typewriter and the sort of this all these coincidences come together to like give you the universal sign that things are going to be okay. So he says, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm going to write the book. 
I got this. I wonder what the uh, you know New York City is like out there with everyone else who's experiencing a lost weekend like me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ends on good note, happy note. Five minutes later, does this movie, does Don keep going? Does he succeed? Does he get past his demons? Or does he just fall back into it over and over and over again? You're asking me. I'm asking you. And I, so I'm an optimist for the most part um, about most things, and then certainly about about people. I I don't. Maybe this is because I'm seeing it for a second time. I I would almost guarantee the first time I saw this, it would have been an emphatic, um, no, he's he's good, he's he's fixed because I was looking at that, and now that I've been teaching for almost five years and I just hate everything, um, <laughs> I I don't know how much I buy. I feel like he's on the road to recovery. And if, if you don't, and I know that's a cliche, but if if you kind of don't think that, if you think it's just over right then and there, cold turkey, then you don't know alcoholism, I don't think, and you don't know alcoholics. Um, I think that this is the, this could be a really big turning point for him. It is a big turning point for him, but it's a crossroad, and he needs to make the right choices going forward. And I think him writing his book, The Bottle, is the way he's going to do that. Whether or not he does it, obviously left to be seen we don't know but i feel like he's on the right path but it is not a certain uh it's not a certainty for me at least yeah it's a very difficult road to walk alcoholics anonymous was founded 10 years before but i don't think it had gained a lot of traction so much because you know we're still oh, i can i can deal with this myself i don't need your hippie dippy whatever I don't, hippies weren't even around then um <laughs> So I, I, I waffle back and forth on whether Don remains uh, sober or just falls off the wagon. I ultimately, I th- ultimately, I think he writes the book. I, no matter what, I think he writes the book. He has unequivocally, and now he realizes it, that he has Helen's love and that she's not going anywhere. And for whatever reason, whatever reason she's there, she's there to stay. And I think that was a great grounding influence. And that she'll be there to talk him off the ledge, and he'll get the book done. I think there. I think it's gonna be. I think he's gonna have some. Uh, he's gonna have some slip ups, and it will take careful monitoring. But uh, I think it's a. I think it's a bittersweet. I think it's a bittersweet yeah. ending. Like like perhaps he gets a. Perhaps last weekend, the the epilogue is he writes the book, but he dies of like liver failure. Shortly after it makes number one, oh. <laughs> with the little just the, the titles on the screen, and that's it. You're like, "Come on, man!" Like <laughs> Billy Wilder, how could you? <laughs> He's just laughing somewhere. Like. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, so, all right, we are approaching the end. Um, so, Matt, the question we ask: Did the Lost Weekend deserve Best Picture? Man, um, yes, uh, and I'll and one one reason is is probably obvious, and one reason is maybe not so obvious. Maybe it is. Um, the the obvious reason for me is it, it it yes, it's a yes because of the subject matter, and I think the way it it handles it, um, particularly in our conversations now talking about it. I was kind of on the fence when we started this conversation, mm-hmm. but now I feel that kind of accepting the ending is bittersweet. Um, because I feel like I remember reading that the ending of the novel is not. I think it, I think I think it's just bitter. bitter. Yeah, I think yeah. he 
I think I read he he they he he's gonna fix himself, and then he thinks about killing Helen's like maid, and then he just starts drinking again and says something like, "Why do they even bother helping me out?" This is <laughs> um, that's just completely bitter. Uh, whereas with the movie, we get to kind of look at it both ways, and I think that's really effective. I also think for all the reasons we talked about, it, it handles the kind of issues, the psychology of um, alcohol and alcohol, alcoholics and alcoholism really well um, in, a, in a film, particularly for the time period. So that's the obvious reason I think that it deserves it. The less obvious reason is that, again, I'm going to come back to the film noir. It takes film noir kind of tropes. Um, and, and, and again, filters them in a, in a unique way, much like Wilder's previous film, Double Indemnity, which does not focus on a detective character. It focuses on an insurance salesman as our main character, mm-hmm. kind of the hardest-edged insurance salesman you'll ever meet <laughs> in a movie, which is kind of cool. But likewise, in The Lost Weekend, we don't focus on a detective. The police really aren't even a, a factor in the film at all. Um, but... We get um, issues of, of um, nonlinear structure, the flashback sequences, which is very film noir, particularly in the scene we talked about in, at Bellevue Hospital. We get the really, really, really film noir-esque lighting, uh, mm. particularly the nighttime sequences. He's framed behind uh, the kind of that fencing in the glass door, which is very similar to that kind of Venetian blind um, effect we always see in film noir. So I think Billy Wilder's a genius because he took a really complex, uh, edgy story and told it in a style that people loved at the time. And I think the reason it won the award at the at the, at the Cannes Film Festival is because it looks like a film noir. And at several scenes in the movie, Ray Milan walks around looking like the most French guy I've ever seen in a French movie <laughs> ever. Like, it's the scene when he's walking around with his jacket up around it, and he's got the five o'clock shadow, and yeah. he looks like, it's like a French movie bar none. And I think um, for those reasons alone, the kind of boldness of the, the subject matter and the way he shoots the film I think yes, it deserves uh, wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly, and as with a lot of the cases, I have to agree to everything you said. <laughs> um, it is a movie that is clearly made in the forties. Yep. It's definitely it has its you know it has its an- an- anachronisms, and that's okay. But the core of the story remains something y- you could you could make this you could remake this movie with about. I don't know Facebook addiction or something, and it could be just as harrowing. It maybe be a little more ridiculous, but it you the the themes of addiction and obsession and of letting yourself down and failing your friends and family are are constant. And if there's one thing I've noticed about the films that that you and I have have discussed on this show, it's that the if it's something universal. Mm-hmm. It has a better chance of standing that test of time that we so look for in in movies, and certainly in our best picture winners. So I will say that yes, Lost Weekend absolutely deserves best picture. I enjoyed it so much more than Wilder's uh, The Apartment, which won um, uh, which won in nineteen sixty. I I was I'm just I was a huge fan of this. I didn't expect it to be as uh, thought provoking or as as scary or as just deep and psychological for the time about uh, about this subject matter. And it's um, worth your time and attention to check out. <clears throat> so, Matt, uh, you haven't been here for how we normally do things around here, and that is we roll the dice to see what movie we are going to check out next. So I'm going to do that right now, so you all, so audience, you all can 
play along at home. And we got number 30, number 33. Is that this one? 33. Oh, well, it's actually the apartment again. However, since we picked, <laughs> since we put 33, let's just do the 1960 foreign language best winner, The Virgin Spring. I know, oh. I know nothing else. Oh, you uh, know what? I mean, no, I don't know anything about this movie. And I'm not <laughs> talking about it in any respect at all. Not at all. He, know, he knows something. You you can know something about it. I'm. It's it's fine. Some somebody somebody should be the adult here, and it's not going to be me. Oh, I know a lot about this movie. Okay, <laughs> a lot about it. He knows a lot about it. You have been listening to Oscar Watch. If you like what you have, like what you hear, you can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at oscarwatchpod, and be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. It really does help people to find us there. Matt, where can people find you and your life and works? Mainly on uh, Instagram, as usual, at movie underscore matinee with the two T's for matinee. Um, it's mostly just movie reviews and uh pictures of stuff we're doing with oscar watch pictures of my dogs um i've i'm kind of all over the place with with movie reviews i think yesterday i did an italian film from 1981 called burial ground or the knights of terror and i believe tonight i'm posting my review for the movie backdraft the ron howard film nice one um so moving forward i'm actually and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to talk about it for just a sec here i'm actually trying to get through we talked about this the very first podcast have i seen every movie that i own there's an emphatic no i have not so mm -hmm. i'm just gonna go through them from uh the numbers to z's and finally watch pretty much everything but i wow. might throw up a few a few pictures every now and then um similar to what we do and, and have people kind of choose what i review next i feel like that would be fun to do so okay that's me baby yeah you should find him his reviews are great his tastes are varied and his words are wise <laughs> and uh, to to send us off, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call back to my uh, to my uh, to my other other website and say, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And until we meet again, as always, drink till the movie's good. <laughs> <laughs>